The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then, sorry. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have your eyes not to see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken bread did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right. Yeah. Right there on the table. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson. Um, if you've never heard me preach before, or you're new or, you know, anything like that, um, I have a stutter. So I just want to make sure that you all know what that is before, you know, I began and you're like, what's going on there? Um, that's, uh, you know, all it is. So it kind of comes in and out. But um, I don't know if Jared said this or not, but Redemption Church is one church in multiple congregations throughout um, Arizona. And so, um, so yeah, so we're Redemption Tucson. And for us here, because we're in a college town right near the U of A, you know, everything like that, um, our kind of landscape, if you will, here at our church looks quite a bit different during the summer. And for us, we just see that as a good thing. Because um, those college students, man, they, no, we love them. We're thankful that they're here. Um, but this really just provides us a great chance to kind of get to know one another. Normally, to move closer during the sermon. Um, no, but just to you know, to kind of we have a smaller group. Like Jared said, there's a lot of stuff really going on. You know, throughout the summer, classes, things like that. It's so far, it's been great. We've had just a really great time getting to move closer to one another and spend some good time together. One thing, though, that that really brings up is that um, we have a lot of needs. A lot of our kind of volunteer base is just, you know, MIA right now over the summer. And so um, we we say all the time that all of life is all for Jesus. And and so we believe that our fo- our following of Jesus, our our discipleship of him means that we use our time, our treasures, our treasures, our Talents, you know, everything that we have, all of who we are is an act of worship in, you know, all of life. So with that, if you're um, a follower of Jesus and you call Redemption Tucson your home church, I just encourage you and ask you to, 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 to ask um, at the Connect Us how you might serve over the summer, um, specifically in the children's church. Um, we have significant needs there. So um, if you want to learn how to serve with kids and, and just have any interest in, in helping out and serving in that way, I would certainly ask you to, to do, do that, okay? Cool. All right. So um, now we're going to get into it pretty quickly here. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up high and keep it up. Um, I want to make sure that you're able to kind of walk along through the Scripture with us. So if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. And someone will get you one. And um, 
También si necesitas en español, tenemos. So if you prefer to read the Bible in Spanish, um, ask and somebody will get you one. We have some um, as well. So just, just um, indicate that. And um, so while you, they're handing those out and while we get there, okay, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, um, verse 21 and um, verse 11 through 21. And while we're turning there, let me just explain kind of, let me just catch us up on where we are, okay? So um, the, what we've seen in Mark, we've seen that Jesus is the king. And then we've seen what his kingdom looks like. And I say, and I emphasize that because we're not just kind of hearing about it. No, but the author, Mark, is showing us, all right? He's showing us who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him and what his kingdom looks like. And he's proclaimed and announced his kingdom. And then we've been challenged to ask, um, who, who is this Jesus and how do I respond to him? Like, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because no human so far has fully grasped it and fully understood who he is. And so today we ask that same question, but it's, 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 it's a flipped a bit because now we're asked, well, who are you? Okay, who am I? So in response to that question, who is Jesus and how do you follow him? We're challenged to consider, um, well, well, who am I? Okay, because um, we don't rightly see ourselves. Therefore, we don't rightly see Jesus and we, we can't rightly respond to him. So it's easy for us to see everyone so far and to kind of look down our noses and be like, man, they just don't get it. They're, they're off, you know, they're, they're not very smart, whatever. They went to ASU, probably something. Um, they just don't get it. But, but for, for us, um, we need to understand, actually, naturally, we don't get it either. Um, because when I say, who are you? Most of us, even if we don't say it, most of us in our heart level, we think, I'm pretty good. Pretty good person. You know, the good outweighs the bad. I kind of have a, a fairly good understanding of the way things work. And so I'm a pretty good person. And then we might think, yeah, I want to follow God. But when pressed, we say, uh, on my own terms, according to how I define that, according to how I want to follow him, that's how I'll follow him. And so what we see Jesus doing today, surgically, like a heart doctor, a cardiologist or like an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor. We see that Jesus gives us the right diagnosis for who we are and where we stand so that we can rightly see and understand and respond to him. So what we'll see in our time today is that Jesus diagnoses spiritual blindness. And so first, as he interacts with the Pharisees, Jesus diagnoses them. And then he turns even to his own followers, his disciples, and he diagnoses them as well. And so as we enter into this, I, I, I trust and pray that God is going to do some surgical diagnostic work for us as well. And so I'm going to pray right now as we turn here to Mark 8. I'm going to pray that God would, would enable us to come humbly through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be in a place where we would rightly receive the diagnosis of Jesus so that we can rightly see him and respond rightly. With that, let's, let's, let's pray together. Yeah, again, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, Lord, that you know us even better than we know ourselves. So I pray that you would indeed humble every heart in here. 
Lord, we are deaf and blind spiritually, and sometimes we don't even know that. We don't even acknowledge that. And so now, as we come before you, we ask you to speak to us, to diagnose us, to open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, to rightly see you and rightly understand. So Lord, all these things we come before you humbly, praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's just get after it right away. Mark 8, verse 11 Beginning here, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So the, the, the language there is that the Pharisees kind of roll up, right? Like with an entourage, right? Like they don't just kind of come humbly. They're not like, we want to learn more about Jesus. So let's go ask him some questions. No, it's like, hey guys, let's go. Let's roll up on him and let's challenge him. And so they go up. They, they, they go up and face Jesus and they want to test him. Much like Satan in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was tested and tempted, Satan came out and met Jesus and wanted to challenge him and wanted to, to, to um, make him trip up and stumble. And so that's the posture that the Pharisees come with. And they come and they come seeking what? A sign. They want a sign. Probably like a lot of people today, we think, ah, if God would just show himself, if God would just do something more, if God would just, you know, reveal something, um, if he would just kind of, you know, do some big work, then I would probably believe. But, but my, my lack of response is because um, he hasn't shown me enough. But guys, let me, let me say, that's like saying um, a, a deaf person doesn't hear because I'm not talking loud enough. Or, or, or that's like, like um, if you've ever been somewhere where you, or if you've ever seen Rush Hour, like, can you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like, right, you're like, you're like, you just talk louder or faster or whatever when someone speaks a different language and you think like, yeah, if I just kind of change it up a little bit, they'll understand. Or somebody who's blind, you're like, oh, I know, we just need to, you know, make bigger TVs or make the words bigger. And it's like, no, that's not the problem. Okay, so similarly, our misunderstanding of Jesus and our inability to respond to him to receive his kingdom is not because we haven't seen enough. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, we see this very clearly explained. It says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so God has revealed himself. He's given us his created order. He's created us in his image. He's made us able to rightly see him and how he's created us. But because our hearts are hardened, because of the sickness and the darkness in our hearts, we're, we're spiritually blind. We're, we're deadened to him. Okay, and so Jesus responds to these Pharisees and they're, they're seeking for a sign. And he says, basically, what is it with this generation? 
This generation is always seeking a sign. And what he's doing there when he says this generation, he's, he, he's basically lumping them with every unbelieving generation, which is every human being, every generation since the very beginning of when humanity turned our backs on God. What the, what the Bible calls the fall. Jesus is exposing, and let me just say, these are the religious elite. Okay, these are like the seminary grads. These are the smart people. They speak all the language. They memorize scripture. And Jesus is like, you guys, just like everyone else, are deadened. You're blind. Because though God created us in his image, though he revealed his glory to us and called us to live all of life in relationship with him, in response to his good character, under his great power, we said, ah, no thanks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my back. I'm going to go my own way. I want to figure it out on my own, a theme that we'll see as we go on. And then throughout, though Adam and Eve did that, all people, and specifically the, the wicked generation of the Exodus. If you've ever read the Exodus or you've ever seen the Disney movie or whatever it is, it's right when, when Moses leads God's people under God's supervision out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're wandering in the desert. And this wicked, faithless generation basically continues this theme, continues this blindness and says, no thanks, um, yeah, this whole freedom thing, this whole relationship with God, this whole all of life thing under um, our, our, our identity as your people, I don't know that it's good enough. Maybe we should go back to Egypt. So God constantly refers to them as a wicked generation. And so Jesus right now relating to the Pharisees says, why does this generation seek a sign? He's reminding them all your study, all your academic pursuit the bigger glasses, whatever it is, no, that's not, that's not solving your problem. You're, you're a part of the, of the blind generation. And then he leaves. He goes in a boat with his followers, his disciples. He leaves, and there's a, sim, a symbolism here of he's going toward Jerusalem. He's now leaving the northern part of Israel where he's been. He's leaving Galilee Symbolically, he's leaving the religious elite. But let me be clear. Not because this is God's plan B. Not because Jesus is like, man, I tried with all these smart people, with all these religious people. He went back to his hometown, his home area. He tried and now he's like, I don't know where else to go. I'll go look somewhere else. No. This begins, this is a major turning point in Mark. This begins Jesus' laser-focused trajectory toward Jerusalem where he would lay his life down, where he would give himself on the cross in Jerusalem. This has never been his plan B. From the very beginning, he knew that, that, that the, the trajectory he was on was to go to the cross. But what he's been doing is exposing what his kingdom looks like and our inability to rightly see and rightly respond. He's exposing that, that the religious elite, that the smartest people, that his own physical family members, his own biological family members, that all these other things don't work because our natural disposition is to miss him because of our, 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 our dead and blind state. And so Jesus diagnoses the Pharisees and then he moves on and he now talks to his followers 
So um, pick up with me in verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. That's his followers, his disciples. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So they forgot to bring bread, but they had one loaf. Okay, I don't have time to go into all this, but let me just be clear. The one loaf, here's a hint, that's Jesus. Okay, if you remember last week, we talked about that every week as we gather together, that all of life is defined by the provision of God in the bread of life, who is Jesus. And so Jesus, every week when we take communion, we remember that Jesus took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Okay, so this is a clear that that God's provision of sustenance of life is with them. And though the people, his closest followers, the people who should get it, they forgot bread. And so Jesus turns to them and he cautions them. And he says this, he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He turns to them and he warns them. Okay, this is a parable, right? Jesus turns and starts telling a parable. If you remember, a few weeks back, we learned what parables are. Okay, we've often wrongly thought that parables are like illustrations to help people understand more clearly. And that's wrong. That's not what a parable is. What a parable does is somebody who has insight, somebody who, who gets it, somebody whose heart has been opened and softened, to the gospel, the good news, then you lean in and you either understand secrets of the kingdom of God, you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're no longer blind, you're no longer dead, you rightly understand, or you lean in and you seek understanding if God is doing a work in your heart. You say, I don't really get that. Explain more to me. And we've seen that happen throughout as Jesus told parables. But to those who are are hardened, those who embrace their blindness, those who are dead, they, they just are offended by parables, or they don't understand, or they just write Jesus off as crazy. Okay, there's really not a middle ground. And so, as Jesus turns to his own followers, and he tells them a parable to reveal some of the secrets of the kingdom of God. So again, as we ask that question, who is Jesus, and how do we respond to him? And we rightly turn and understand, well, who are we, and how do we respond to him? This is, Jesus is explaining, and he's saying, beware of the leaven of the Herodians and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are, again, the religious elite, and they want to um, shape a culture that will be set up to be religious and, and stringent and where you obey all the right rules and, and you don't do all the bad things and you do all the right things and they want a kingdom where they can just basically replace their need for God with their religious way of life. And the Herodians, usually the Pharisees and the Herodians don't really work together, but the Herodians, they want a kingdom where this family, the family of Herod, can sit back and just be comfortable and have everything be about them and where they can be the kings and and God would not be the king, but where they would rule and reign and make all of life of them and they would take care of Rome and everything else, but for their comfort. And that's the cultural reality that these people are in. Jesus says, beware of the subtle influences of the culture around you. All right, we're in a time right now, I just read something this morning that referred to the culture war, right? The culture war. And and, um, a lot of times we define this culture war 
according to what we want to see happen, according to our own personal agendas. And whoever's on the other side of that is now at war. And then we define this culture war. And I, 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 I would guess that, that people in different places would probably define the war differently and would define the good guys and the bad guys differently. We talk a lot in here about culture. Okay, we believe significantly that culture means a lot. Culture, that word, is simply what a group of people do when they gather together. All right, in its, in its purest form, culture is what a group of people do as they're together. So obviously, culture war, even that, like, there are a lot of cultures, there are a lot of different groups of people that are gathering together, and the message of Jesus is that um, essentially when it comes down to it, there are a lot of different expressions, a lot of different cultures about how we live together, but ultimately it comes back to kingdom, kingdom culture. There's a, there's a culture of the kingdom of this world, a part of which both the Pharisees and the Herodians are. Okay, the, the religious right. The extremists over here, the ultra-conservatives, the one who want to replace God with their good works. And then on the other extreme, the far left, the, the ones who just want to, you know, get, get wild and crazy out and do this thing and replace God with their, with their own way of life, the Herodians. But both are counterculture to the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is ushering in. And he's warning his people. And let me just warn us. Let me say, if we think that, that protecting ourselves culturally, that, 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 that being aware of the culture, of the, the leaven that could influence us is just don't watch R-rated movies and don't listen to you know, music with naughty words. You know, or whatever it might be. Like we think, okay, right, culture is no. There is so much culturally that we need to be aware of. There is so much culture that we, as the church, as Redemption Tucson, could produce that is anti-Christ. So much bigger than just music and movies and whatever else we want to believe. There is consumerism. There's gossip. There's idolatry in so many different forms. Idolatry is simply taking a good thing and, and um, replacing God with it. It's making a good thing an ultimate thing. There is all kinds of culture amongst us that we can be saturated in. And if we grow inoculated to the gospel, right, we go inoculated. That means we just become numb to the authority of Jesus, to our need for him. We fail to recognize our dead and blind state. And then we start to create all kinds of culture, whatever it might be, the far right, the far left, whatever it is. If it's not submitted to the authority of Jesus, if it's not rightly understanding our need for him, our need to be defined by him in every way, then it's counter culture. It's anti-Christ. Let that be a warning to us. Hopefully that shakes us up a bit. Yes, movies are important. Yes, music is important. What we're taking in, what we're consuming, what we're, all these things are important. But it all is. We can't just create one little lump sum and say, oh, that's it. Let's just protect ourselves from that and we'll be good. No. The protection, the warning is to rightly say, we need you. We need the surgical diagnosis and the surgical healing of Jesus. That's our only protection. That's our only hope. So Jesus gives this message and 
I, I think perhaps just to maybe lighten this for us and make it a little funny, look at what his followers say. I, I love this. So Jesus gives this incredibly profound warning, right, that we've just walked through and his followers turn and are like, um, says, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> Jesus like gives this whole thing. He's talking about the far right. He's talking about, you know, political um, realities. He's talking about culture wars. He's really blowing up our paradigms and our categories. And they're like, oh, dude, you think he's mad that we forgot the bread? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably. That's probably what he's talking about. Again, they are blind. They're spiritually blind. It's funny to us, but we need to recognize that's our natural state as well. We don't get it. We think music and movies and internet filters and whatever it is, is going to, we think bumper stickers and what, that's going to protect us culturally. Yeah, Jesus is a little bigger than that. His good news, his message is a little bigger than that. And so then Jesus turns to them in verse 17 and he explains it a little more. He diagnoses a little more clearly. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He's diagnosing them. He's calling them out. Again, right here, what he's doing, he's quoting the Old Testament. Okay, he's reminding them, you're, you're the same. You're the same as those Pharisees that we just left, who are the same as the Israelites wandering in the desert, who are the same as the first people, Adam and Eve, and their fallen condition. Right here, he's quoting um, the prophet Jeremiah who was giving a warning to the people of God about the, the coming judgment and the exile that they will face. And he's, he's revealing, again, diagnosing their hardened hearts. And time and time again, they don't get it. And so Jesus is, is equating them with them. And he's, he asks these seven questions. Do you still not see? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Can you not see? Can you not hear? Do you remember? Don't you get it? And no, they don't. They don't get it. Can he's creatively and surgically revealing the fact that they don't get it. And so, what do they do? It says they start talking amongst themselves. Down in, uh, in um, yeah, they, they conspire together and they talk. Again, when they say we don't have any bread, what they're doing is they're, they're turning their backs on Jesus and they're trying to figure it out apart from him. Just like us, right? Okay, what does it mean to be a good Christian? How do we sort through all this stuff that we're faith, faced with right now culturally? How do we do it? I know, let's just figure it out. Let's go to Facebook. Let's go to blogs. Let's go figure it out. Let's go and read all this stuff. Let's, let's come up with our answers right now. That's exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3. The fall, the tragic reality that you and I all live in, the first cause that created our blindness and our deadness came from this. It came from the relationship with God, the intimacy, the dependence on Him that He created us for. And then being tempted to find life and truth apart from Him. Satan, in the form of a serpent, came and questioned the character and the quality and the power of God and said, 
right? Why doesn't he want you to eat that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why don't you eat of its fruit and then you can be like God? Then you can figure out all this stuff apart from him. Then you can have the, the faculties on your own to, to live life on your own. And in comes sin. In comes the reality of where we are. Fighting with one another. Tearing down the image of God in our language, in our posts, in our interactions. Creating these culture wars that are all counter Christ. Because we've turned away from him and we try to figure it out apart from him. We're doing the same thing today. And Jesus is revealing his diagnosing to his own followers their deadness, their blindness. Because of their separation from him. They don't get it because they can't get it. At the end there, Jesus says, do you still not understand? And again, I ask you, who are you? Who are we? Are we pretty good? Do we decide to follow God and say we will, but in reality, it's in our own terms? What kind of diagnostic work is the Lord doing in our hearts? Is he doing amongst us right now? Because these people didn't get it, but they couldn't get it. Because Jesus was on a trajectory to go to where he would explain it all. To where he would make the most clear diagnosis and the most clear revelation of our need and our state and God's healing work. The cross. Because on the cross, Jesus would show, no, you're not pretty good. You're not just, you don't just need glasses. You don't just need to clean out your ears. You don't need someone to talk a little bit louder. No, you need your blindness to be healed. You need your deadness to be dealt with. And that would happen on the cross. As Jesus, fully God, would become man, fully man, would live a perfect life, revealing the nature of his kingdom and revealing our inability to rightly see and rightly respond to him, rightly diagnosing our state. Okay, they don't understand because they can't understand. The cross hasn't happened yet. But for you and me today, the cross has happened. God has hung himself on a cross that by dying, he would usher in his glorious kingdom and put to death the deadness of our hearts. He would both diagnose and heal the blindness that we live in today. And so again right now as we do this diagnostic work, as he asks these seven questions, don't you understand? Are you still confused? Do you have ears but not hear? Do you have eyes but not see? Let's make it really real here. Author and um, theologian N.T. Wright um, challenges us, and so I wanted to take him up on his challenge. He says, what about you? When Jesus, when the Pharisees gave, um, asked for a sign, and when his own followers didn't get it, it says he groaned. It says that in his sigh, in your, in your Bible, it says that he sighed, but it's more of a groaning. Like, oh. But it's not an impatient groaning. He's not angry. It's a recognition, again, a diagnosis of saying, you, you still don't get it, and you can't. And he continues to reveal that. And so I want us to ask, as N.T. Wright challenges us to ask, what realities amongst us right now might Jesus be groaning over? Not because he's mad, not because he's impatient, but because he's recognizing 
that we still don't get it. He's recognizing that we don't understand our own blindness, so we think, I'm pretty good. I'll figure it out on my own. I'll go talk with my friends. I'll go read some articles. I'll figure it out. So let's just consider, do we have disregard for God? Do we put Him on a shelf? Do we go through every Sunday and just think, yeah, God's here. God meets my needs. God fits into my life somewhere. That's my approach to God. Do we have disregard for Him and His holiness and that He gets to define everything and we come humbly under Him? Do we have disregard for others, which flows directly out of our disregard for God? In our relationship with one another. Do we say, let me say this as I'm, as I'm pounding on some things. Do we talk about the sanctity of life, but then once someone is born, that's really important, the sanctity of life. We believe that. We will fight that as a church. The sanctity of life from the moment of conception. But then once someone is born, do we say, let's stop treating them in a sanctified manner. In our relationships with one another, do we put things like God's God's plan for life, God's love for his image bearers, for human beings. We put that in a box that fits into our little political category. Do we have disregard for God and disregard for others? Do we have disregard for his creation? And the way that we handle our trash and the way that we drive our vehicles and the way that we just, whatever it is, do we have disregard? Does, do, does the deadness and the blindness in our hearts, is that revealed with how we interact with God's creation, that he gave us dominion or stewardship over? Do we have moral numbness? Have we grown kind of numb to what's right and what's wrong? Have we embraced just living in a gray? Have we, have we turned our backs on God and said, we'll figure this out. Morality, we don't really care what you have to say about it. Consumerism, entitlement, selfishness. Let me say, all these other things are the, are the headline catchers, but those three are the more likely realities that are swimming right now amongst us. Consumerism, entitlement, me, 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 selfishness. We are saturated in a culture, in a leaven, that I confess is seeping deeply into my own heart, into my own home, into how we, how we relate with one another, and how we relate with the world, and how we see commercials and say, I've got to have that. Is that revealing the deadness in our own hearts? Injustice, pride, unloving toward others different from us, unwilling to enter into civil conversation. The illusion that we can um, use distorted truth to land on ultimate truth. The idea that we can figure it out apart from God. Ultimately, our unwillingness to come humbly before the doctor in order to be diagnosed. Where are we today? As we close, um, let me remind us of the good news of Jesus. Sometimes the good news leaves us excited, yelling, happy. Hopefully it always does that, but sometimes that comes through the hard reality of coming before the doctor in order to be rightly diagnosed. Okay, and in order to have the, the cancer cut out, in order to have the, 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 the scab, I know this is graphic, but the scab peeled back because the infection has grown, that has to be peeled back so that the healing, good news, the balm of the gospel of Jesus, the necessity for his death and victorious resurrection 
And that's where we are right now today as we respond. We're more rightly able to respond to the good news of the healing work of Jesus, which I will say we'll hear a lot about next week. And it's still there. It informs and defines our time now. But we more rightly sit in this place of having been diagnosed of spiritual blindness, spiritual deadness, so that we can rightly see the healing work of Jesus. Let's respond to him in prayer, worship, and communion, and confession. Again, um, Lord, we come before you, uh, Lord, humbly. Even this sermon, as I've prepared it, as I've preached it, I'm so aware of my own deadness and blindness. Lord, the ways that I, I, I see the biggies, as we call them, the things that are that are so clear and obvious, that are wrong, that to others maybe seem to be right. And yet I just open my heart, I open our church sometimes to, to, to cultural influences that ultimately are anti-Christ. Or um, again, selfishness, consumerism, pride, seeking our identity apart from you. The list goes on and on. I pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you are revealing those things to us individually right now as we sit on our own before you and also corporately as we come before you as a church, as a people, or we come asking, where do we not get it? Over what are you groaning that we don't even recognize needs to be healed? So now I pray that as we respond, as we come before the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his authority and his work, his kingship and all that he's doing, I pray that you will... You will lead us to the cross. Lead us to the gospel. As we rightly see our desperate need for you. Lord, we pray this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.